Hey everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Roos Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of the Roos, your premier source for rice sports news and analysis. Well, all right, we are uh, well into spring practice, uh, but I think five practices in at this point. Uh, so we got some... Uh, some thoughts on that that we're going to share with you. We have a, a depth chart to look at, a uh, an influx depth chart, shall we say, as they often are in the spring, but this one may be especially so. Uh, some scheduling news, some uh, unfortunate transfer news. Uh, and then we're going to bring on an uh, old friend of the show, J.P. Heath, to uh, talk a little baseball and basketball. So a uh, uh, packed show for you in a uh, busy rice spring. Yeah, that's a lot going on for March. Yeah, I know. More, more than usual for us at this time of year. But I'll take it. We laughed because we cut off the show when we recorded last and we said, you know, we probably won't have too much to talk about by the time we get here next. It's just spring. And then, uh, uh yeah, what was it like 12 hours after we hit the uh, stop button on the record? The Jake Bailey news came out. <laughs> so, um, I guess we can start there. Um, get the, uh, I guess the the somber note out of the way at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so Jake Bailey uh, entered the transfer portal. I guess this would have been uh, shoot two weeks ago, March what ninth, tenth, yeah, something around there. Thereabouts. Um, and that one came out of left field um, completely to everybody. The uh, <laughs> the Rice staff didn't see that coming. That wasn't something that was in the plans. Um, the way that things and if you pay attention to college football recruiting and, and transfer news in general, uh, you notice that a bulk of the transfers that ha- happened after the season happened in that, uh, you know, third week of December, right before Christmas, after everybody's seasons had ended and uh, they had had their exit meetings, which is basically where the coaches and the players sit down and uh, talk about the future and whether or not they will be in it or want to be in it. So you do see some transfer announcements after that. I would wager that most of the transfers that happen in the uh, January through March window were not (laughs) planned for at that time. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Like you, you generally see, we'll see the biggest wave, obviously, like you said, right, right after a team season ends. So like either in December or January, depending on if you make a bowl, when your bowl is, um, and then you probably will tend to, especially going forward now with the immediate eligibility stuff, like you'll probably get a continue to get less sort of like a post spring wave, you know, um, as he as, you know, players that think they are, you know, looking at a future at their current school and then things kind of go sideways for them or another player emerges in the spring and suddenly a depth chart spot they thought they had isn't there anymore. So, you know, they kind of make a business decision after that. But um this was like there had been one spring practice at that point, right? It was after the first practice. Yeah, essentially, I guess he probably the probably put in paperwork and stuff that afternoon um, if it came out right right in the morning. I don't have I'm not privy to all the details of the play by play, but yeah, it was the day of the first spring practice when all of that would have been um, put in. Yeah, so. just just odd. I mean, you know, best of luck to Jake. He's had a great career at Rice. You know, I uh, I never want to be, you know, uh, 
like it just it, it, the timing is very strange it's 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 just not something you see a whole lot yeah it was kind of bizarre and and with that um i think the other the other interesting point is what it does to um the depth chart <laughs> especially when you look at the wide receiver position because uh, you have Bradley Rosner, who is not transferred, still here, but uh, not not healthy enough to go, uh, or rather, at least not going to be uh, running around in the spring because we know what Brad Rosner is. Um, so he's out this spring. You have August Pete, who entered the portal in December with that first wave. Uh, and then you have Jake Bailey, which brings you to uh, Cedric Patterson as Basically, the only pass catcher returning with experience that, I mean, how many balls did Jack Bradley catch? Yeah. Or with experience and, at Rice, at least. So yeah. You, uh, you've got Sam Crawford in now, so that's it's a boon to get him. Yeah, well, it's funny because we talked about when the McCaffrey announcement was made, we we're like, you know, it's sort of a curious thing because the depth chart is so loaded at wide receiver. Um and no, it's not. Um, <laughs> we, should, we should know better. <laughs> of course, yeah, no. We obviously brought this about ourselves and have brought shame upon our families and the Rice <laughs> fandom. Um, I, you know, uh, assuming, uh, and we have learned perhaps to never make any assumptions about wide receivers in particular at Rice, but if you get... Um, I'm totally blanking. Ezdale, the receiver from West Virginia. You have Brad Rosner coming back. Uh, you know, I, I think what we said to each other, like, via text when this first happened was, uh, this definitely hurts. Like, there is no way to slice this as, like, a good thing or, or like, a neutral thing for Rice. But um, there are definitely worse positions to lose a, a major expected starter from. Like, there is depth. There is talent at this position, even with... Giovanni moving back to quarterback, although I've noticed on the spring depth chart he is still listed a wide receiver, but I think you've noted that he is back yeah. with the quarterbacks now. Um, but yeah, suddenly there is a much clearer path to playing time for Luke McCaffrey wide receiver than there was when we uh, first heard that news. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess we'll pinball, we'll cover um, the last other news tidbit because I think we got more to get to in the depth chart before we we switch over. But last news item before we bounce back to football and depth charts. Well, I guess this is football, but this is future, future football. Rice has added a game in 2030 and 2031. In 2030, they will be hosting San Jose State. And in 2031, they will be making the return trip out to San Jose. Uh, that is the 2031 game for uh, those <laughs> interested. At how far ahead does Rice schedule their games? That is the furthest out scheduled game that Rice has currently, uh, but only by two weeks because <laughs> <laughs> they do have a game against Northwestern scheduled in 2031. Uh, but it's uh, I believe that game's the first week of December and the the San Jose December September and the San Jose game. It is going to be September 20th, 2031. So all those who want to uh, start college football on the West Coast, um, go out this year for the USC game and then, uh, you know, book your ticket for uh, 2031. Just move out there for nine years <laughs> and then, uh, you know, come back after that. 
you could do worse. Sure, yeah. I mean, expensive, but uh, here the weather's nice. That's true. And they uh, they're having their best uh, best practice ever of all time out there. <laughs> Something. That's a complete aside. Somebody published that about Link, Lincoln Riley and USC. Uh, of course. The rave reviews from the first practice. It was the greatest ever. Well, and what I hear is that uh, the players are uh, in the best shape of their life. Um, you know, they're going to have an aggressive, Culture. yeah, yeah. A, an attacking defense. You know, they're not going to sit back and let the offense dictate. Um, offense you know. is multiple. Lots of, lots of. Yeah. Uh, decided schematic advantage, really. Yeah. I mean, for okay, for Lincoln Riley, that might be true, but um. <laughs> <laughs> this is spring. Yes, and this is the other piece of part that makes spring so challenging because you 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 uh, you try not to drink the Kool Aid, but at the at same point, everyone is is football starved, and uh, and we've forgotten by the time the end of December rolls around, uh, you know, maybe where everything's at and what the baseline is. <laughs> maybe we try not yeah. to. <laughs> Well, all right. I guess that leads us back to our uh, first spring depth chart look. Um, and like we said, it's a, it's an interesting one. Obviously, there is already a change to it as Jake Bailey is listed on it at two spots. Obviously, he will be at neither of those spots. Um, <laughs> Isaiah Esdale and Brad Rosner are not on there. So uh, the, the big takeaway here from this whole thing, um, and obviously this is on the site, but... Um, the big takeaway from all this is that you're missing a bunch of injured players here. So DeBraylon Carroll is not listed on here. Brad Rosner is not listed on here. Uh, Treshawn Chamberlain is not listed on here. So um, even if this is exactly set in terms of the players that are listed, it's going to look very, very different when the ball comes around. Yeah, and all those guys that you mentioned, they're not going to be available uh, at all this spring. So those guys... Um... Let's see, uh, Kirk Lockhart, uh, DJ Arkansas, um, also going to be out for the remainder of the spring. They did get uh, Myron Morrison back. He had an offseason surgery, um, and it was good to go. He, I saw him out there this week. So he's back at linebacker, uh, th which altogether, you know, you're talking about those guys, some of the guys that are injured, the transfers, the lack of, I didn't realize, the lack of super seniors who had that extra COVID year last year. Uh, it was a big spring last year. This spring, they're probably down to like 75-ish um, bodies, which isn't bad for a spring. By the time they get the next oh, class yeah. in for the fall, uh, they'll be, you know, 105-ish in that ballpark, which is great. Uh, but right now, it's it's uh, it's not thin. It, it Maybe it's just not a, maybe not as uh, ample as it had been in, in years past. So you hit on the wide receivers. Um, that... That's a free for all. I, I'm honestly really interested because uh, we're going to see see a lot of, you know, Andrew Mason and Kobe Campbell and Peyton Stevenson and uh, Reed Westervelt, who was a darling of fall camp last year, um, uh, a walk on who caught. Oh, shoot. What was it like? Like 20 touchdowns or something his senior year. Um it was. Yeah, uh, I think we've mentioned him. Aside from his extremely uh, <clears throat> all lacrosse team name, yeah, it's very good. Uh, oh, and I'm actually looking at him on the roster now. He was born in Boston, so that's very perfect. <laughs> um, uh, but kind of a, uh, a Rosner type body. He's listed six three one ninety, so a uh, big dude who, yeah, well, you know, 
if Rosner's not here, uh, then, you know, if you want to do your best imitation, then uh, now's the time. Yeah, so lots of lots of young faces and new faces. Uh, I, I can confirm, and I, I'm actually I, I'm working on something right now to get up on the site, uh, Luke McCaffrey, wide receiver. That uh, That project is going very, very well. Um, I saw him uh, juke a guy out of his shoes and just did a, oh, who was that? And then I saw 12 and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, and uh, he, I thought this was interesting. Uh, I was talking to wide receivers coach Mike Kershaw afterwards and I said, so so tell me about Luke. How is he taking the wide receiver? And he, he said, you know, wide receiver, I mean, he's going to be our Swiss Army knife. And I'm like, uh, the last guy around here that you said that about was was Jordan Myers <laughs> and he was pretty good. And uh, Kershaw was like, yeah, he'll be like Jordan Myers and with a turbo button. Yeah. Uh, for, for all the amazing things that Jordan did for the team over the last few years, um, straight line speed was not necessarily his, um, you know, his calling card. Uh, a little bit more the case with a, uh, a, a McCaffrey in the fold. So, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. So that'll be fun. I'm looking at other things that are interesting on the depth chart. Uh, Ari Broussard is starting running back. Um, as of this point, I mean, I think the uh, the real contender is there once we get more reps. And, I, and I'll note, I've been out there so far, and it's really been there are no teams, first team, second team, third team at this point. They really are just cycling through everybody. Um so there's not really much of a hierarchy to speak of. Um, but, you know, probably Dean Connors came in at running back. He looks really good. Um, it's the spring. Everyone's in the best shape of their life. And yeah, 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 yeah. It. but, you know, as advertised, there's and no one showed up and I'm like, oh, he shouldn't be here, which is which <laughs> is good. Um, so that and then uh, right now, the QB battle um, in Mike Bloomberg's own words is, quote, wide open. Uh, TJ McMahon and Wiley Green are the two guys there. It's a two-horse race at the moment. Giovanni is back there, too. Um, and Shoki Idrish, who has looked really good, but I don't I don't think we're going to be giving it to a... Uh, I guess he's a redshirt freshman at this point. Um, that would surprise me. Um, let's see. What else on the depth chart? Um, new faces on, on the O-line. Ethan Onyanwa is uh, the starting right tackle. As of yeah, right now, that one was a surprise. They lost. Oh, shoot. I think it was seven or eight offensive linemen to graduation or the transfer portal um, over the past three months. Um, uh, Cole Garcia was one of those guys. He transferred mm -hmm. out. Uh, Derek Ferraro, um, Javon uh, Wolford, after playing for 14 seasons in college football, is officially retired. Um, <laughs> Or at least he's out of collegiate eligibility. Um, so, yeah, at least one offensive lineman, Braden Nutter and Faye Pepe, uh, one and two at left guard. Um, if you're excited about offensive line battles this spring, we've got some. <laughs> Anything else interesting? I've kind of hitting the high points. Uh, yeah, I think that about covers the, uh, covers the high points. Fullback. Yeah, we about that, <laughs> yeah that, was my, that was my big takeaway. Most exciting thing. I always got to get some fullback talk in here because we know. Uh, <laughs> Converted linebacker. Yeah, no, classic fullback type. Um, 
nice to see the secondary sort of largely intact outside of Viper got nice to see George's name on there, not only in terms of his eligibility, but also health. So uh, very good news. And then Jordan and Sean at the the corner spots and Gabe Taylor at the, the other safety position. So nice to have at least one position with most of its guys, I say, waiting yeah. for them to all need surgery tomorrow or something like that. But knock on all the wood. And I, and I will say I, it was a, the defense definitely won the day or um, when I was out there uh, earlier this week, uh, George had an interception. Um, I guess not, not true freshman anymore, but red shirt freshman. Well, I guess it's the spring. So aren't they technically still a, a, a true freshman? And then they'll roll over. Um, first year player, Josh Williams at safety. Um, he had an interception that really, really, like what they've gotten out of him so far so he's the kind of guy that maybe we see factor into their rotation at some point um Kenny Seymour at linebacker he was the scout team guy he's he's listed as the starting linebacker uh right now but uh, that's Myron Morrison not on the depth chart and they have a grad transfer um Cam Cam Dillon coming in from Columbia who's not here for the spring um, but we'll be here in fall camp. So that'll be a spot that that will linebacker spot. This is uh, this will be Seymour's chance to audition and uh, fight somebody off. Yeah, so uh, I think that about covers it as far as uh, as far as our announcements, as far as our news. Um, so uh, we'll transition over, bring on uh, JP right now. All right, and we are here on now with friend of the show and play-by-play voice of the Rice Owls, JP Heath. How you go? How you doing, man? Outstanding. Thanks for having me. Uh, I don't know how long it's been, but I always love it when uh, when we can talk. I think your most recent uh, interlude with us was during COVID time, which uh, has no wow. time. Wow. Okay. I didn't know it'd been that long. Shame, shame on me for not demanding to come back on. I apologize. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here. And uh, now that you can come up from air, so to speak, I tried to uh, run into you at one point in the booth and you weren't there because you were off somewhere else because oh. uh, they have you uh, doing everything. This is a, this is a pull behind the, the broadcaster curtain, uh, JP. Can you tell all of us what the past, like, two and a half, three week chunk of time is like for you as uh, the voice of the owls on the court and the field and everywhere else. First off, thanks for making it sound more taxing than it really is, but <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, it's not many off days, but I mean, everybody has periods like that in their jobs where they're, they're hustling a little more. Um, one thing that made it a lot easier, crazy concept. I don't live two hours away from my office now. So <laughs> that, uh, that helped in the uh, commute, even though I don't have to, I don't even really have a, your, for the audio folks, um, Carter and Michael are looking at my, uh, Matthew, you're looking at my office right now. I don't know why I called you Michael. That's your new name. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's, uh, I mean, it's. Still getting enough sleep. I can exercise. I got a free schedule. It's not like I'm I'm grinding too hard, but it's uh, managing the schedules. That's that's the big part, and then like the overlap of the schedules. But you do that a few months out. It's just the execution of it. So it's uh, 
while uh, you're on a baseball trip or bad example this year because we had the never-ending homestand but uh, if I'm on a basketball trip you got to make sure Mexico has his stuff together for baseball and juggling the women's basketball coverage in the tournament and while I'm doing uh, the the men's game so it, it all it all comes together uh, I'm not digging ditches here uh, we're talking about sports but yeah it's it's stressful, and I don't mind saying this on the record and, and broadcasting it on the evening news. This is my favorite time of year because the crossover season's over, and you're settling into that old comfy recliner, and you got that old sweatshirt on that you just know. Uh, so, yeah, but I, I love each of the sports so much. But, yeah, not not crazy concept, not being as busy and stressed. I like that aspect of it. So, yeah, this is uh, – <laughs> kind of the sweet spot before a couple months off in the summer. Yeah, because you'd handle, we'd have a, a basketball game, a men's basketball game on Thursday. And then depending on that, it was in town or out of town. Then you'd be back here at Reckling for a baseball game at Friday, go back to a basketball <laughs> game on Saturday, and then baseball on Sunday, baseball on Tuesday, then maybe basketball. Yeah, it's all what the schedule gods tell us. Um, for those that don't know, um, probably not a huge shock. We get to look at the schedules a, a little bit before the public does. And I had the general idea, okay, this is, and I'm like, I, I bet they're wondering, why do you need to schedule six months in advance? I just need to know, okay? <laughs> Give me the schedule. Please, please, my have the schedule. And so I just like, and as you could probably see from this office, this uh, burgeoning office i'm not really an organized person per se but i love getting the schedules together and i love getting that aspect so at least in my work i am organized in my life uh not so much outside of uh south maine <laughs> yeah i honestly feel like that's half the reason i i decided to go into teaching is because uh the schedule during the day is decided for me I just have to be in my room and then the kids come in and then I teach them. And it's, it's, it's uh, there's no, there's no, like, I don't have to decide anything for myself about what I'm doing when. Okay. So wonderful handoff. We'll talk, we'll talk more about that later. That's interesting. <laughs> well, we, we touched a little bit on basketball and baseball. I do kind of want to get your thoughts because, uh, we're going to be honest, JP, we are, we're may, might be a, a little bit more simple minded. We tend to focus on football uh, around here and, and cover all that. We dabble in a little bit, but we bring on the heavy hitters when we have serious questions. Uh, okay. So we haven't talked much basketball, but I do kind of want to get your take on the season as a whole because we did kind of, you know, speak of it earlier. And I think there was a lot of hope going into the season. A lot of expectations uh, end up their final record, I believe, 16 and 17. And of mm -hmm. course, make the CBI for the postseason for the first time since 2017 and then lost on a heartbreaking literally last second buzzer beater shot. So if you could kind of encapsulate how this season fit in the midst of uh, the several though that you've worked with the owls, what, what was it like and kind of, what are you going to remember from it? Um, man, uh, how long do we have? Let's see that. <laughs> it was very, it was rewarding. Uh, you always want to, to win every game you want to end up the season with above 500 but kind of cribbing from coach Perry, he told me in his last couple interviews we've laid the foundation when i talked to him at the end of the um, north texas game when you kind of thought they'd probably be going to the cbi but you didn't know officially official wink wink nod nod i was like 
just in case they don't go, I wanted to ask him, hey, what do you think? What do you want fans and what do you want people to remember about this season? And he said, I want them to know that these are amazing student athletes. And I'm paraphrasing here, not the direct uh, actual quote. I don't have the audio uh, to queue up, but uh, that, that, that we're, we will get better and that we've laid the foundation. And obviously, I'm not going to argue with the boss man there. But I mean, there and there are a lot of disappointments in the season, too. Coach would tell you about that. Uh, some out of their control. Quincy Oliveri going down uh, against UTEP. Uh, when when Soleil Moon pulled him down, and uh, that that just you, you felt for Coach in that sense because Quincy was just getting it together. Uh, when they could play small, they they were really really a tough matchup. I think Quincy had some struggles early in the season uh, dealing with Car. Uh, I, was, I was looking at Carter's name, uh, but uh, <laughs> it's not basketball season anymore. But Carl shots, Carl Pierre shots. So they were just past that like halfway point of the season where you kind of know your roles, and Quincy was thriving. He started looking like that preseason all-conference player. His numbers really deceiving to his value, like 10 points, but he was still shooting at a high clip, and he had busted off like three uh, double-doubles in a row. And not to just kind of cry in your Cheerios there, but, I mean, that was really a big blow to the season, but then the way they adjusted after that, and they they thought about going big a little bit. I'm just scrolling through the schedule here. Um, they, they didn't finish the way they wanted to. I think they 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 struggled with teams that were above 500. I had to note that they were, I think, uh, four and ten, four and eleven against teams that were above 500. So they they had some great wins against UAB. Uh, against Middle Tennessee. I didn't even catch, pardon me for not knowing the final of the own, own tournament I was broadcasting. Seems like two <laughs> weeks ago now. But uh, they beat Middle Tennessee, and that is a really good team. They beat UAB, a team we saw match up uh, against Houston well for a time. So there are obviously some positives, but man, uh, it, it sounds like towing the company line, but I really like the direction they're going. And, I mean, you, you figure in maybe I'm going to get to this, but uh, I'll just kind of snag the answer now. But it all, it all depends on the portal. What happens? You have to talk about that. And they obviously have their eyes on some guys uh, from other schools that have already entered or they think they could enter, like every coach of the other 350-some-odd Division One teams do. Uh, but it's about who you keep, too. <clears throat> and your season is a lot better when you keep these guys that mature. The rice way to do it is keeping Max Fiedler, keeping Melijah Poteet, and uh, hopefully Travis Eater. I have no inside insight, insight to those guys, but uh, that will determine a lot of how good down the line you feel good about this season, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. uh, if a few guys leave and you're like, okay, you're, you're kind of back a couple steps. But hopefully that doesn't happen, but I think they're in a really, really good spot. Yeah, yeah it, it definitely felt for me at the end of the season like, you know, they lost. It was such a hard ring loss to, to the end of the season. And then, you know, overall, it kind of felt like a disappointment. But then I thought, you know, kind of taking the larger view that it was kind of a kind of an achievement that this was a disappointment, sort of. After, you know, the few seasons before that, the roster having been in so much so much flux even relative to what college basketball rosters just look like in this era with how much they turn over. Um, 
But, you know, you think about a couple of years ago, they lose guys who are now, you know, you lose guys like... Um, 2019, yeah. They lost... Oh, shoot. Um, Aiko Adams, Robert Martin, um, um, Trey he, Murphy. Yeah, you, you lose a guy in Trey Murphy who ends up a first-round pick, and then you lose... Uh, Drew Peterson. Yes. Yeah. Who starts for USC, who was starting alongside Evan Mobley, who is now, you know, now is is absolutely tearing up the league as a, as a rookie, but... Um, I think it was well. I think I'm losing. You got me. Got me, Matthew. I got you. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, But you. You know, there were expectations this season that you didn't quite meet them, but the fact that you could get to those expectations and still, you know, make the CBI and end up around 500 and that have that be, you know, kind of a disappointment is speaks to, like you said, kind of building a good foundation for this program. Either yeah, you I'll... get any of the some some football vibes. I feel like we've had this conversation before of things were going well because you're right. <laughs> they were they were just. They had the North Texas game to start conference play after, I think, what, like 15 of 16 players had COVID or something at one point. Mm -hmm. Like, we're down for the count, kind of got beat up. And after that, they had that Middle Tennessee win. They had the UAB win, um, started clicking, and then you have a key player go down to injury and things just kind of spiral. I'm like, I, I feel like I've had this conversation before. I don't know. Uh, you know, what rabbit's foot Rice Athletics needs to hold, but <laughs> it felt like it was that close. Yeah, it, it's no secret that's the way, like, again, hit the recycle button, what we talked about during our football uh, episodes, that they, I mean, depth is, is going to be thin, the way they have to recruit at Rice. Uh, they're already recruiting out of a small pool. Uh, they know the score going in, and that carried over, unfortunately, to uh, basketball, and we're hopefully, hopefully that doesn't carry over into baseball because they a couple guys have some missed uh, a few games, uh, but that that is the way it is at Rice, and uh, they want to rise up to that challenge. Uh, two other positive notes that I thought of uh, that I, I look back at my uh, book here, they won back-to-back games in the conference tournament um, for the first time. In back-to-back years, they won games uh, since the 04 and 05 seasons. So that's something. Uh, yeah. They had 15 or more wins for the first time in three consecutive seasons since the 03 through 05 campaigns. So that's something. Uh, Coach Rhodes didn't even do that. So that's that's something you can see on paper of, of marked improvement. So uh, I'm, I'm happy with, with the direction Coach Pira has it going. Yeah, and you mentioned the portal, and I think that's it's going to be an interesting discussion point because, you know, and like you said, we're not privy to all these things from conversations that I've had at this point at risk of totally sticking my foot in my mouth. I feel pretty comfortable um, with where the team is going to be. Um, one announced transfer so far, I believe Noah Hutchins, um, kind of a, a depth guy who who played a little bit but not too much, so... Uh, and I think we've seen with with Carl Pierre and now Travis Evie, both guys that uh, and 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 uh, Terrence McBride, 
as well, who, you know, ended up being a starter down the stretch for this team. Uh, Para knows what he needs as far as what kind of guys to go get out of the portal. So if they can get the right piece or two um, and, you know, keep them healthy. I don't I don't understand. I don't see a reason why they couldn't kind of pick up where they left off. Yeah. And Riley Abercrombie, I don't know if you saw he did enter the portal. Um, So he very well, as you well know, could could still come back. So you've got Abercrombie and Hutchins in the portal uh, as of as of right now. But that I mean, (laughs) that could be the next three months of waiting. But generally, from what I understand at other schools, too, like they they give you some kind of idea. And it's not a shock to coaching staffs when uh, guys enter the portal. You just hope you gain more uh, than you lose. And they've got a a good recruiting class uh, coming in, too. They expect uh, now I'm blanking. Uh, doesn't make me sound like a good voice, but this uh, <laughs> uh, Mason, uh, Makai Mason coming Mackay out. Makai Mason, Ari- yeah, yeah, coming out of Arizona. He is, he is really good. Uh, he, for those that don't know the backstory, uh, he was the uh, ball boy for Derek Glasser when he was at Arizona State, playing with a guy that before he had a beard, uh, <laughs> and. They, Who might have uh, been? I, I think there might have been a coach on that team with some connection to Rice, if I recall. Yeah, just, <laughs> so, but Mason's supposed to be. I mean, I, I, the clips I've seen, like like y'all might have. I mean, he's he's a good driver, good shooter, and uh, he's a big guy too. Uh, so I mean, you, you have to figure in. Hey, this ancient note of uh, recruiting and developing guys too. That's still in play too. So while you lose Carl Pierre, uh, hopefully you'll get. Uh, some some good guys through the portal and also some good guys uh, coming up in the system, so to speak, in the recruiting trails. Yeah, I, I, Para has definitely had some success there. Max Fiedler looks like, a, I'm not going to say a completely different player from, from when he stepped on campus as, as a, a freshman. I think he got in pretty early. They had a, a preseason tournament. Uh, was it the Bahamas? If I'm I'm putting that right, going back, but he played a lot early and then just kind of lost focus or uh, kind of got cycled out of the lineup, and he's he's come along, um, and so is Melijah Petit. So, uh, yeah, and just for dudes. a little context here for those of you that don't follow ba- basketball recruiting, um, so Makai Mason, I, I guess he's not rated in some other services, but uh, so he doesn't have a composite rating, but two four seven in their individual rankings. Has him has the number 156 overall player in the country, the number 21 shooting guard. Um, that's that's big. That is, uh, and you know, and there aren't the sheer number perhaps of of basketball recruits that are ranked as say football players, but like that is a serious signing based on that ranking. So um, that's a. That's a heck of a job by Para to leverage that connection because that's a I don't know I don't know how long it's been since Rice signed a basketball player that was rated that high at high school, but uh, I would bet it was not recent. I would think, and I don't know, but it is it, it's been a while. I just know how much they think of uh, Mason and not just the personal connection, but just his style, what he brings. Like he's a guy that's going to have some juice. Uh, OKG, uh, 
old Mike Rhodes term and uh, Coach Pear. I guess a lot of coaches use it, but he is <laughs> he's a guy. So um, you can say your boy, you heard it from your boy first. I mean, they love, really, really like him. And I'm not saying he's going to be Marcus Evans good because when they tatted him to me, I was asking him on some road trips, you have so much. Sorry, I'm cleaning up a mess from my dog. You like my versatility? <laughs> <laughs> Multitasking. Yes. So if you hear the huffing and puffing, it's me cleaning up Dirk's mess as he looks at me all cute. Um, just water. Spilled a cup of water. But they, they really like Mason and what he can, can bring. He's not like Marcus Evans and like a scoring point guard or a small shooting guard, but uh, he's a little bigger in the 6'5 frame, a, a leaper, and he's got some handles. So uh, I don't pretend to know everything about him, but he's, uh, he's going to be a, a big, big addition in the recruiting class. Best player uh, coming in from the high school ranks, I think, in a long time. Yeah, and I'll I'll echo. I've heard similar things uh, uh, from from Para and other folks on staff. Is you know, recruiting is a uh, all the recruits you come in. Every class is your best class, and you love all those kids, and you're the greatest ever. Yada yada yada. But uh, the the positive things I've heard uh, specifically uh, about him coming in, uh, they're very very excited, and uh, I'll take it. The more talent you can get, the better. So I guess positive news there. Um, I did want to ask you, uh, buzzer beaters in general. Uh, how many? How many have you called, and where does that one? Uh, where's that one going to rank in your your memories of of legitimate last shot buzzer beaters? Let's see, man. I think because it was the CBI and not a conference tournament or like a NCAA tournament game. It wouldn't be at the top of the heartbreak, to be totally honest, but it still hurt. It hurt. It really hurt talking to coach after the game because he he was really broken up, and I was I just really felt for him. And I wouldn't mind being in Florida uh, a couple <laughs> games. Matthew, it would have it would have gotten me out of that baseball game the other night. No, no, I say, uh, <laughs> but it would have <laughs> somewhat seriously. Uh, well, well. Speaking of of game uh, games against um, Matthew's alma mater, if if I'm going my personal <laughs> thinking about buzzer beaters, the one that immediately came to mind as the analogous one was Colin Sexton in his one year against Alabama in the uh, SEC tournament with the coast to coast buzzer beater against Texas A&M. So, uh, had to throw that one out there for you. <laughs> I um, I won't get in the middle of y'all's feuding here, but <laughs> <laughs> there was um. Gosh, what year it was? I'm getting old. What year was it? Um, played FAU, and one time FAU hit a buzzer beater. They beat Rice at home. Uh, what was the guy's name? Justin. I think his name was Justin Johnson. And then going back to FAU, Aiko Adams hit like a just, I'd say, it was a 30, 35-footer. He banked it in. I remember and, that shot. Yeah, that was 2017-ish or so. So it was the same. No, yeah, it was Paris, it was Paris first year. That's what it was because we talked about it earlier this year. On uh, He had a segment on his coaches' shows where he talked about uh, big wins in his history. And, yeah, so those were dueling. I, I think I said on the call, how you like that for deja vu because FAU beat Rice at Tudor with a buzzer beater, and then Rice won – uh, in the same way. So I think those two stand out, obviously one of them being a rice win. 
And man, I don't remember any of the others. Maybe it's just I, uh, <laughs> I've had too much schnauzer cleanup duty, but um, I'd have to think of it a little more. And you can add it in your snazzy effects, like uh, like anyone really has to hear my other answers. But those are the ones that come to mind. In high school, how's this? In high school, I still huh. remember this. Uh, when I was doing games for the Lufkin Panthers, this guy oh, I did. I, I was thinking you were going to hit the shot back in your high school glory days. No, but I was broadcasting it. But <laughs> I still remember the guy's name, Rio de la Garza. He played for College Park in the Woodlands, and he hit like a three-quarters. Uh, it, was, it was so far. It was like almost at the other free throw line. He hit that. And then my other favorite buzzer beater, not that you asked this, you're like, why do we have this guy on the show again? But – uh, a guy named Chris Ross, he played for San Antonio J, and this was 2004, 2005-ish, I think, maybe earlier than that at the state championship. It was back, back when they didn't have 6A. Uh, I was at the game and just being, remember being floored when uh, he hit that one. So, um, so yeah, sports. Uh, sports are fun. That's my stance. <laughs> Well, speaking of sports are fun, you mentioned baseball. You could have gotten – had Rice won another game or two in the CBI on the basketball front, you could have gotten out the uh, midweek baseball game up against Texas A&M. I did want to ask you about that because uh, at hour four, sitting in the press box, when we were all loopy, I couldn't help but think about you sitting over in the booth with nobody else to <laughs> prevent you from going crazy. Um Four hour and 27 minutes on the, uh, I guess, the final uh, from uh, pitch to uh, final out of uh, A&M baseball. Uh, I don't know if you're going to remember that for the sentimental value, but it was it. There are baseball games that are actually long and there are baseball games that just feel long. And that was one of the ones that <laughs> felt long, too. Yeah, it, it started, unfortunately, with. Um, Curtis, the Aggie starter, getting hurt early after a really long um, first inning, like, and then he gets hurt with those two outs. You kind of had that feeling, and, and at bats were lasting forever, and guys were stepping off. And uh, before I get too deep in the weeds, I do love doing rice baseball. I didn't, I, but <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't, caveat bosses. <laughs> Yeah, for folks that were listening and love to get offended by everything, I really do love doing the games. But, man, that was – it was just the pace of it. And I was talking with uh, Andrew Monaco after the game, uh, voice of the Aggies. And, like, I mean, we're in the same boat calling the same thing. But it was, uh, it was, it was a rough call because of the pace of it. But I, I still like color doing guy, it. though. Yeah? With him. And in the future, anytime you want to come by, we can make uh, a little Tuesday exception. I don't know if it would have been conflict of interest, but uh, you can just do the rest of the game for me if you want to. No. <laughs> JP's tapping out. <laughs> but, oh, yes, I did, I did get a little loopy, too. And my big thing, I love – my dad gets a kick out of it. Uh, I don't know. I'm just fascinated with maps and geography ever since I was a kid and – I like we're like talking about where certain towns are, and so basically it was just talking about every guy's hometown and <laughs> the who was the guy. Uh, there's a guy named Minifee. He pitched, uh -huh. and he he was from a town, Moundsview, Minnesota. And my dad listens from the start of the pregame show to the end of every postgame show. I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? Do something else. <laughs> and he said he had an uncle and an aunt 
from the same town of like 10,000 people of Joseph <laughs> Menifee that had like nine kids. So I have to tell that little funny anecdote. So I don't know, but I, I, I always try to amuse myself and that can get scary sometimes, but hopefully uh, fans were listening in droves there. Just just list, living out your own personal version of the, the classic Joe Buck top of the 47th tweet. <laughs> yes. Exactly like that. There's nobody to stop you. <laughs> Until I come barging through the door next time. <laughs> JP, you're back to the geography. Gotta call an audible. Wait, wrong sport. I mean, are, are uh, we are we are we positing at this point that your entering the booth at that point would somehow get things like back on track? Because I don't know if that's the case. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm here no. for off the rails. Yeah, that is it's going sideways when Bartlett barges in. That's uh, definitely going sideways. But you're welcome anytime. We we need to expand on our highly successful Sunday visits. Yeah, there you go. I'm game. But uh, speaking of of highly successful, I don't know if that's the uh, this is a professional transition right here. I don't know if that's the word I'd use for the baseball season so far. Uh, but there's been moments you have now uh, you've covered. I guess this is three head coaches. Uh, now you've seen a, and I don't know how you would chunk the eras of rice baseball that you've seen. Uh, but, uh, but tell me your impressions of, of Jose Cruz jr. And, uh, and what you think about just his, his hand at the helm, uh, so far this year, obviously a, a fan favorite that everyone remembers from back in the day. Um, but you get to, to, to talk with this guy and kind of, you know, get, get behind the scenes and see how he ticks. Um, yeah. Yeah, he is. He is so great to work with. Uh, I forget who was asking me. Um, not that it matters for this conversation, but I was just saying he is he is a pro, as you can imagine, playing 13 years in the big leagues. He's brought a real pro approach and that attracts uh, recruits and they've got some great young players. I think um, like going back a few minutes ago, we were talking about the injuries going from football to basketball. They lose Hal Hughes early in the, uh, like, actually, excuse me, late, right before the season started. And I think that kind of shot the wheels off the defense for a while. They, they, they didn't settle things. Not that Gallo has been bad at all at shortstop. He's been, he's been really good, and he's been a steady force. But uh, not having Hal Hughes there has really, um, I think, hurt on the defensive side, and that's been the big issue. But that'll all clean up. But as far as coach, coach Cruz himself, um, I mean, it's, it's all there. Uh, I think you can't get in too much of a rush judging what this season will be records wise. I think fans want to win every game and they want to win now, but I mean, it's still a rebuilding project and uh, even uh, the palpable buzz coming into the season, the last podcast I did with uh, Joe Carlgaard, um, he, he even said, and I, I admired him for, for saying this, that, hey, I, I want to let fans know that, I mean, this is the first year of a rebuilding program. And what, 23 games coming into Friday, 23rd game of the year? Guess what? It's looked like a rebuilding program. Uh, only getting the, the five wins on the homestand of 18 games. That stings, but they, I, I think, a good season this year for Rice. Um, don't shoot the messenger, but I think 
getting into the conference tournament where they haven't been in what the last it'll be three seasons. Um, I think that is good. Get a six, seven, eight seed right now. Obviously, I want it to be one for for those that like to nitpick comments or save clips. <laughs> I, I want it to be number one, but I think this is still a uh, rebuilding team. Uh, first year of a coach that is invested. Um, and I know you all know this, and I assume most people know what I'm about to say is a big deal, but getting that, um, the Bixby family head baseball coach, getting that endowed, that that's that's a game changer. And that's one thing Joe said he was going to do at the very start, and he's done that now with uh, arguably the two premier programs with uh, football and baseball. So kudos to him for doing that. And of course, like, sorry, Joe, but more kudos to the Bixby's for be, being willing to, to donate that. So th- that's huge. The pitching lab, that, that's going to be so big that the way they're going to have to do it in this rebuild is with, um, with pitching and defense. And uh, so far there's been some good signs in pitching and the defense has really struggled now. What is it? Forty-five uh, errors on this. Forty-four errors on the season. They they've got to do better defensively, and their bullpen needs to be better too. I think I took your next couple questions there, but uh, that's the the state I'm thinking of right now. That they they're going to be better. It just stings going through it right now with um, the way they're playing at times right now. Yeah, we pass notes. Uh last week after their uh latest five error game and then they went and had another one i think they had three five error games in the span of of nine or something like that so which was mm-hmm. uh if you don't follow baseball too close two is too many uh five is five is a lot so some issues there but um i i'll add to that it's been really really fun to work with with coach Cruz. Um, there's all sorts of different characters in, in this business <laughs> that you, uh, are, uh, cordially invited to talk to five, six, seven times a week. Uh, and he's, he's always a good person to, to chat with and, and interview. And I think, and he said this in his introductory, uh, uh session with the media, he said, you know, I, I played here. I, I get that aspect. Uh, I had two kids, go through here so i've done the the booster club and the team dad kind of done i've I've done that aspect and now i'm coaching here like i went to school here like i've i've done student i've done dad i've done coach i've done player i i get rice and i feel like there's the uh the conceptual like just like oh well yeah like the michigan man you know with jim harbaugh (laughs) but you know what i'm talking about like yeah understands everything then it'll work um but but well, you never and, really and there is certainly a segment of the and uh, I have not been afraid to throw stones at this group before. There, there's certainly a segment of the Rice <laughs> fan base who um who who wants who wants a Rice man for certain positions, if you will. And I, I thought it was striking a really great balance with this hire to get a guy who um I don't want to say pleases that crowd because pleasing that crowd is not really the point, but who uh strikes the right notes there that that um does all the things that that are the reasons people want somebody like that somebody that knows the program somebody that's been connected to it understands the school and the community and everything that goes into that um but then also someone who was very 
forward thinking and is approaching the game and building the program in a very modern way. Um, and also just personally, like I, I've, I, I've met the man before he uh, is close friends with the owners of a brewery that I work at on the weekend. So I have uh, had a few conversations with uh, junior even before I knew he was a candidate for the job. So uh, personally, very excited to see it and just, I've loved because, you know, I, I, I wasn't even aware that he was sort of had these things in the works, but the way he's, you know, with the pitching lab and um, that he's just sort of basically like gone to the statistics department and been like, hey, let's build an analytics team here because this is Rice, uh, which is something that I have sort of wanted Rice Athletics to, to go for a lot anyway. So, um yeah, it's a different yeah. vibe when you walk into his office and you sit down with him and on his desk. He has two of the like four and a half inch binders, the thick ones that are just data and charts straight from the pitching lab. Left handed release from two weeks just and I didn't he, I didn't flip through it, but I was like, all right, <laughs> you're looking at the numbers. That's what we want, right? This is rice. <laughs> yeah. And so like the, the, the beginning of this season has certainly not been, um, you know, thrown a bit of a wet blanket on that kind of optimism that you came in with. But um, again, we're, we're repeating the same beats here, I guess, but I feel like the foundation is in a, maybe the foundation is still being built here, let's say, but we've taken a look at the blueprints and the blueprints look really good. Yeah. yeah, and I think they do play with some spunk, too. You go back to that uh, Texas Tech Saturday, uh, the post-game <laughs> sharing of words between the two staffs, and uh, got really dicey there for a little bit. And then the UAB, was that Sunday, where they, they, they had a little chirping going back and forth? Head coach so, got ejected. UABs. Yeah, they're yeah, – <laughs> They're really playing for him, too, and, and it, it's still a young team. This is developing. Uh, Smigelski has been uh, – I think I've said this a few times, so sorry, I'm not breaking news here, but I, I said I think he is better than they thought he would be. Like They knew he was really good. Obviously, they don't bring him in, but true freshman starting at third base, and you start mentioning him, and not that he's Rendon, but he is doing multiple home runs – games in one week like Anthony Michael Rendon did uh, so that's the kind of big talent they're bringing in and uh, I think Hal Hughes is closer to coming back I'm not sure if he's uh, coming on the trip um, to Marshall but uh, hopefully by the time they come back home uh, he would I don't know then this is not gospel I'm not saying this is exactly <laughs> what's going to happen but uh, I think once they they found Woodcox at the leadoff spot, coach said he likes putting him up there to get some fastballs uh, a little earlier in counts. Uh, they, they know more about their middle of the lineup with Garibase Miguelski and look at Gallo's none kind of setting the table at the bottom of the order. Uh, so get get defense lined out and, and things hopefully will uh, even out. But these conference games, they, they come and go quick uh, sooner or later. Uh, Matthew, we're going to be talking one Sunday. Like, wow, where did the season go? It's uh, it's the the Charlotte series. Although we go to Charlotte, but anyway, some late well, May I, home series, and it's it, the season. It, it, it comes on you quick. I was pulling my notes together today because I do a, a mid-season kind of state of the program that I put up on the the Patreon, and we're we're forty percent of the way through the year. 
just in yeah. total games. And I'm like, that it's crazy because it's March. Um, yeah, earlier so you were like, we're like, what, like 22, 23 games in the season. I was like, wait, what? Like 20? It's been 20 games? It, your mind does that when you never leave Reckling Park. <laughs> <laughs> we have always. But yeah, been it's been fun. Park. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Aaron Smigelski. Uh, fun, fun story uh, was actually uh, Cruz's first recruit that he went after. He said, we're going to get this guy. They got him committed in uh, into Rice and didn't start on opening night, but had a, a pinch hit. And hit and so they put him in on Saturday and gave him another pinch hit try and he got another hit so they put him in on Sunday and he got two more hits and they just kept putting him in and ended up having he did have one game against Texas Tech where he didn't get a hit but I think he has uh, has a hit in something like 17 of his first 18 collegiate games uh, you were talking Rendon, uh, Smigelski, uh, five home runs in four games um, this past week. So he's been super fun to find. And there's a there's a couple guys like that. And you mentioned a lot of guys that uh, have a couple years of eligibility left. So I think it's been interesting. And this past week um, has been fun because, you know, earlier in the season, uh, you've seen enough baseball. You've seen a team play bad baseball, JP, where they lose, but you were like, eh, you were never going to win that game. Uh, but th- they're, they're losing some games now, but uh, th- they haven't been bad baseball games. Um, they've played well. Sometimes, you know, that ground ball hits off the mound and ricochets all the way into left field and scores two with two outs. Like they had a, a ball hit off the mound, ricochet in the outfield twice in the past week. Yeah. It's just bizarre, but, <clears throat> you know, it'll come around. Um we will get at, get you out of here, but uh, other other uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about baseball. Obviously, that maybe the five inning or five inning five hour uh, marathon with the Aggies is not going up there, but uh, not best. But any other uh, of the the peculiar ones, the the strange moments that you uh, uh, particularly enjoyed calling a strikeout where a guy gets hit in the head earlier this season, that might be up there. <laughs> It's like you were listening to the broadcast last night because I did talk <laughs> about something similar. I uh, I brought it up because when games get close to four hours, my mind starts going. I start thinking of when's the last time this has happened? And I keep a little note section on my phone. And But what came to mind was my first full-time year of doing this. This is my fifth year doing baseball. This was 2013, February 2013. We're out in Hawaii. So we had flown into Hawaii the day before. But the catch of that is usually thinking, oh, give them a couple of days to settle in. Well, they didn't know they played 17 innings. So <laughs> it was a 17-inning game, the very first game of a four-game series in Hawaii. My body clock uh, was was on Texas time still, and it was like 3 a.m. Texas time. Uh, does that math add up? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that, <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, that, that uh, carry the 10, the time zone. Uh, that was one <laughs> Uh, there was another one where Rice played Old Dominion. This was probably about six, seven years ago. First game of a doubleheader goes 17 innings. <laughs> a doubleheader. And then the second game, ah, let's go 10 innings. No. So that was <laughs> that, that stands out. Um, another one was Coach Graham's last game uh, against FAU. And it was one of those things where I wish I saved the clip. I've got it somewhere. But I remember it was, it was one of those surreal moments because you know 
you knew this was a possibility coming in an elimination game. It was like the 10th, 11th, 12th inning. It's like 1.45 in the morning. And here it is, this icon of icon, probably the, the greatest coach in Rice Athletics history. He's not going to be with you anymore. So that one sticks out of me because of the time it ended. And, and I remember I didn't drive back with Coach Graham, but I remember the drive back. We we're staying in Biloxi just thinking, man, he's not going to be a coach here anymore. And that's really weird to me because by that time, that was my uh, – 10th, 10th year with Coach Graham. Uh, so that one, those were the few that, uh, I, that, that came to mind um, as far as the length of the games. Oh, yeah, the last one, sorry, because uh, I did bring this one up because this game last night was just a few minutes shy of tying what I think. This is unofficial, but the record-keeping I do. I try to mind my P's and Q's and dot my I's and T's and all that, but Bryce was playing at UAB a few years ago in the penultimate game of the year and it was 26 to 17 it was a nine inning game that was like 20 or 30 minutes longer than the one last night Matthew so that was uh -huh. a game where coach Cruz got referenced because Andrew Dunlap who had like single digit career walks going in he was just if you remember Dunny just swing or miss mm -hmm. I mean he was cutting for the downs and he um he had like five or six walks. And, I mean, all these insane superlatives came out of that game. And um, when we stop recording, I'll tell y'all another story that came out of that, <laughs> that series. That was a really funny story. That, um, But, yeah, that those are the things that come to mind when you're, uh, you're staring off into the distance when you're calling a game four hours and 20 minutes after it starts. But those are the type of things that come to mind. Well, those and then I, the other ones. So I mentioned the, uh, the the Texas game. Guy strikes out and gets hit in the face. I, I believe it was what game was it? Was it was it one of the UAB games where a runner scored on a sacrifice fly from second? Um, what, what? No. No. That was the uh, I've got it right here. That was the Sam Houston game. Okay. That was uh, Justin Long, the sack fly, and Johnny Hoyle scored uh, from second. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, you got your notes in front. Of you. What 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 other baseball oddities? I know you got some weird stories in there uh, from Link Two. I'm trying to think of all of the weird plays that have happened in recent history, um, and uh, I I just want to watch you have to react to them on the fly like they happen every day. <laughs> um, I've called a couple triple plays. Uh, in Coach Graham's last game, there was a triple play, so that was weird. I don't have that book in front of me. That's up in the closet somewhere. I think the uh, Rendon three-run homer game, uh, that stands out. I um, That was in a regional in 2010 where he ended up being the national player of the year, but uh, he just launched one. They have the tennis courts there now, but uh, that was just all a parking lot. and I mean, he just clubbed one a mile. Um, and I don't know, no, no balls going up sleeves or <laughs> I guess a couple triple plays I missed, uh, the no hitter, thankfully I'd have been blamed for it. That was thrown against Rice to end the 2019 season. Uh, but, and, and I, I love jinxing things. If uh, you <laughs> know anything about me, I love talking about no hitters for the other team. 
Um, and people will text me saying, stop it, stop. It. I'm like, why? I don't want them to throw a no hitter. And like, I, I don't have any say in what they're doing down there. Uh, don't tell so, them that. Yeah. I don't think enough of me uh, that thinks I have uh, decision power, but I don't know if that's what you're asking, but those are the few that, that come to mind. Uh, that's the best thing about baseball. We'll get yes. something weird next time out. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.